Hi everyone, Jeanette Marie here with Energy for the Soul and more, and this is Spiritually Speaking. Let's chat! Super excited to introduce to you all today, Reverend Judith Laxer. She is a modern day mystic who believes that beauty, humor, and the wonders of nature make life worth living. And if that wasn't enough, she's a founding priestess of Gaia's Temple, Moonwise Mystery School, now online, accessible anywhere. Judith is a keynote speaker. She's author of Along the Wheel of Time, Sacred Stories for Nature Lovers, Raven's Wood Publishing, Judith dedicates her work to the rise and in culture integration of divine feminine in all her magnificence and wisdom. You can find Judith at www.judithlaxer.com, www.gaiastemple.org. And with me, without further ado, is Miss Judith herself. And I have to tell everyone, like, her grace and her beauty and just willingness to be a part of the solution in today's world you know, activating your true purpose and your true calling definitely stood in grace with me today. So thank you for that. And welcome, Judith. Thank you, Jeanette Marie. I just don't want to jump in right away and say that you added in all her magnificence to my bio. That is not written in my bio. At all. No, that was all me. And thank you. And thank you for that. Yeah. That it's all me. But you know, it's so fun because I wanted to have you on because I met you at the Goddess Spirit Rising. I think it was three or four years ago whatever three years ago was it three or four anyway. i think it was in 2019 yeah so right yes it. it was 2019 and i just remember watching you walk on the scene and just knowing in my heart i needed to be in your uh workshop needed to come and be on yours in my heart my spirit was just calling and i walked into the room and there you were all that beautiful hair and the magnificent <laughs> magnificent gaze that you hold when people are present with you or you present with them rather and there you there you began to just share the stories and the tales and goddesses and the ascension and the dissension and incorporated today's truths into the story and spoke on about oppression and also liberation and I thought gosh I gotta know this woman I, I don't care if she's going to say, no, I'm going to ask her. I'm going to be really brave. And I'm going to say, can I get your information? And then I found so her on Facebook and added I'm her. I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell the folks uh, a little bit about you without me, you know, botching it up or blessing it up, however you want to do it? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, like it says in my, in my uh, bio, you know, I consider myself a mystic and I'm definitely a priestess of the goddess. And I heard my calling pretty early on in my life, but I uh, ignored it for as long as I could. Um, or, you know, I don't know if I would say I ignored it so much as that I don't know if I really believed it or even recognized it as an actual calling. It took me maturing a little bit into my 30s until I really understood what was what was tapping at my soul. And um, I finally listened to it and made the transition from a career in the performing arts to career i guess you call it a career um but following my calling into spirituality and i think that i i believe that i came into this lifetime particularly in this era as part of a contingency of people who are here to raise the feminine 
for balance on this planet because we are so out of balance and we can look at pretty much everything that's going on on our planet on precious mother earth right now and all of the trouble that we're in and bring it directly to the lack of the feminine being empowered can you elaborate on that um or yeah you know climate change global warming and all the trouble that we're in and that is because we are still are refusing to switch from fossil fuels into other forms of energy for me what that means is from a patriarchal perspective it is easier to maintain the status quo and keep fracking the earth which is another way of saying considering her just a a resource that we can take, 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 um, to continue on because our bottom line dollar is more important than life itself. And that I believe is because this patriarchal system is still deeply in place and in power. And I think that if the feminine principles of inclusion and kindness and um, just holistic viewpoint, seeing the big picture, rather than just what I can get my hands on, you know, uh, we would have a huge shift in what's taking place and a huge, we would make a huge difference in what we're going to leave to our descendants. Those I, are could, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. But for the people who are going to say, well, why are you just identifying like the male masculine as the problem and just kind of celebrating the women? What would you say to them? Like, cause this, for me, it's mother earth is the divine feminine. She is our birther. She is our healer. Yes. She is our holder, you know, in any scriptures that I've ever read, spiritual, biblical, uh, belief, religion, whatever. And if you see my I'm advocate reader, my mm-hmm. seeker for sure. In mm-hmm. each one of those at all times, it says her wisdom, her yes. wisdom, her wisdom. Yes. Mother Earth, yes. So, you know, the distinction that I want to make here, Jeanette Marie, is that it's very easy to start blaming men and exalting women. And that is not really what I mean, because I, I don't I do. I want to know, I want you to know, I do know that. Just... Yeah, yeah. But I, that's not what I'm talking about, because I, there are men in my congregation who are uplifting the feminine big time. And there are women that I know whose internalized patriarch is so deeply embedded that they are participating in the very things that we're talking about here, which is putting life on earth in dire straits and danger. So to me, it's not gender specific, although we can say for thousands of years, men have been at the helm. It's a man's world. They've been in power. It's really just in the last generation or two or three that women have had this level of power and even mostly here in the West. Um, And so we can look at that and we can say, well, yeah, we can blame the men. But what I like to think in terms of is masculine and feminine, because then it's not gender inclusive or gender specific. It's more about the energy and feminine energy is inclusive and it is spiritual and it is ecstatic and it is creative a matriarchy that emulates a patriarchy Mm. because then we'll just keep swinging from one extreme to another and we're not going to find balance 
but with the masculine and the patriarchal constructs so deeply embedded in the majority of our institutions in this world, the feminine is still, you know, striving to come back to the surface to bring that sense of balance. We say that a lot of the ways of divine feminine are trying to do that is through, I would almost say, subjectifying themselves in order to be seen to have a voice, but doing it in a wrong way, meaning like, let me show you my breast and how many ways I can be sexy and seductive and seducive to get your attention. That would you consider that to be like a suffocation of the divine feminine um, pa patriarchal power that is conditioning the minds of them that this is how they have to achieve it as opposed to standing organically and authentically in their own wisdom and seeking solidarity in that? That's a very interesting question you posed there, Jeanette Marie. Thanks, Rev. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, that is a very interesting question. And, you know, I guess my response to that would be this. I think that feminine wiles has been the only way that we have felt powerful or have known how to express our power. I don't think it's the only power that we have, but I think it's the only one that has worked for centuries and centuries. And so I think a lot of women think that's really all that they have. And that also comes from a patriarchal system that says, you know, youth and beauty and sex appeal is what we value. And then once you age and once your body starts to change, or once you can no longer, you know, birth out sons for the patriarchal, military machine, you're no longer valuable, you know? And so we work whatever it is that we feel is the only power we've had, which is our sex appeal. And, um, but there's so much more and there's so many other ways that women can exert their power and step up into powerful positions and leadership without that. So I don't say that women should toss their sex appeal or their eroticism or their connection of the erotic and the spiritual and how that beautifully blends i do not think that, that should be tossed aside but it certainly isn't our only way to the head of the boardroom so for someone who's out there who's lost and just trying to find their way that's attached shame to that behavior who's now trying to go to the other side of that in order to gain their actual incarnate birthright, their primal birthright to be a powerful, sacred, divine feminine. Mm -hmm. What would you suggest? How would you suggest they start to walk the ladder of learning? Obviously, we're going to say, let go of the shame and blame of yourself. Yes. But, but how do they inform themselves? How do they get in touch with the misuse of themselves? Because I believe that sometimes not always but sometimes around here when abuse has occurred and if you ask me the patriarch i can't even say the word patriarchal system is abuse oh my I goodness just, yes. i just i just i believe in that yes. and, you know and we've now become our abusers because we bought into it you know we've drank the kool-aid as they say yes right? exactly how does one walk out of that? Like, how do you become a reverend and a high priestess and have her own church? And I mean, you're, I'm just nervous to be in your presence. And, you know, I deal with some beautiful people too, but like oh there's goodness. something about you that just makes me like, 
you gotta pay attention. Be in school. Be in school. Be in school. Oh so my goodness! Tons no. of me while asking these questions. So bear witness with me. But in there, right? In yes. the reverence in my heart, meaning, like, what would you say to them? What would you say? What's the one simple thing they can do that they can apply today? Develop your own voice. Find your own wow. voice. How? Well, I, I think what's happened is that we've been silenced for so long that we, the, the, uh, whatever it is that we think, our own authentic feelings, our intuition, we doubt it, we second guess it, we dismiss it, we keep pushing, pushing it aside. And the practice has to come and, oh, my gut just told me something. What happens if I actually follow what my gut just told me to do instead of going, oh, no, that's ridiculous, I can't do that right? That's one way. Yes, and then the other is to really look deeply inside to find what really matters to you. Because each one of us have, you know, we all have different things that matter to us. When we really distill down to what matters deep within ourselves and start to give voice to it, whether that's journaling, whether that's speaking to trusted friends, we don't have to worry about what we sound like or what they're going to do with the information, that they're not going to take our deepest, darkest, you know, thoughts and feelings as ammunition. This is how we begin to develop our voice because so much of our power has been in our looks and mm -hmm. what we do with our bodies. And I think that developing the voice and speaking our truth is the first step in speaking truth to power. And it's mm -hmm. speaking truth to power that the world begins to change. Amen. I, could I not. think that's like every woman's job is to find her voice and use it. Could not agree more. And I think it's important to listen to your body, like where you're feeling stifled. Or if you walk into a room and you don't feel equal or uplifted more when you leave the room. But if you're feeling drained worse than you walked in or you're feeling down or just funky about yourself, those are not your people to, to share those those beautiful oh. sacred moments of bearing witness with that is not the people and recognizing like how you feel about something not how somebody else feels about what you're saying it's what i'm hearing you say like listen deeply within you and i find that getting still getting still just be still for a minute just like you know when i messed up on the beginning of this and like but i'm willing to flow with the flow i just love you so much for that and i said give me a second let me tap into what i'm hearing like deeply hearing right and listening and activating from that that's such a beautiful practice and it's it's something that we have forgotten that we can do because we're living in a world that says hurry 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 fast 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 more 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 quick 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 you know whoever gets there first wins instead of whoa wait a minute let me take a deep breath here and tune in and find the wisdom that resides there i'll you know take, take a deep breath i'll get back to you but everything in this world is so accelerated and that i think is also part of a patriarchal thing that keeps us on you know on our toes and running and running and, and then we don't have time to really think and really get in touch with the truth of what's going on inside ourselves so i i agree with you i think that's a a beautiful practice and you know have to learn to trust ourselves and everything in patriarchal culture or let's rather i'd say it this way nothing in patriarchal culture fosters 
how we learn to trust ourselves. We are entrained to trust the authorities, the experts, everybody out there, and not really tune into the truth of what's going on in here. And that doesn't mean that we automatically have the power and can do whatever we want in the world, right? There are laws and rules and you know conventions that we must follow in order to live in a civil society. Um, but you know, doing it blindly, just blind faith, uh, trusting authorities that you might not even respect. That's what God is. No. The answer is yeah, no. That's a big no. Yeah. Dot, dot, that's dot, period, dot. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not the way to go. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Couldn't even agree more. Even like when you do a text, like it wants to autocorrect everything you're saying. It's yeah. like, wait a minute, that's not what I want to say, though. Exactly. Right? That's not what I want to say. No, and it's all, you know, under the guise of convenience and streamline and... Oh. Like, girl, please be gone with that. Be gone with that. <laughs> I love that. So tell me about the little girl in you. Oh, she like? boy. She's, uh, she's very creative. She's very sensitive. Uh, you know, I know I have this persona of, um, you know, big, strong woman and, uh, and I am, I'm a big, strong woman, I think. Um, but I'm also intensely sensitive. I think I'm one of the highly sensitive people on the planet. I've learned, right? I've learned how to uh, sort of psychically protect myself because I do work as a psychic as well. And, you know, you know, we're like little sponges, right? We yeah. can pick up all kinds of energy that's not our own. Yeah. And so I've learned how to really protect myself psychically huh. so that I can continue to do my work. I create psychic shields around me. Can you um, give us a, for example? Sure. Um, I think one of the strongest psychic shields that I know of and that I have used, particularly when I know I'm going into a situation where I'm, you know, nervous, upset, uh, or feel very fragile and tender and know that I need like the, the big guns, I hate to use that word, but the big strong protection, is that I imagine a cobalt blue pyramid, because the pyramid is such a strong geometrical shape, which is why the pyramids have lasted as long as they have. I was just gonna say, uh, and they're like historic. <laughs> and they're historic and ancient. And I imagine a cobalt blue pyramid up above my head and I imagine it large enough so that when I draw it down in my imagination, it can come all the way around me. So then I am sitting in a square, right? Because the bottom of the pyramid is square. It's just that all the walls are triangles and they lean in toward each other. And I just imagine that coming down around me. And there have been times when that visualization is so strong that when I open my eyes from it, I feel like I'm looking through blue glass. It's like, it's wow, so that true. really works. It's so true because I, I mean, imagination is a great world, word and world to be in, but yeah. I find it to be my own personal field. Yes. And my, my own personal right to yeah. create that and yes. pull from ancestral history yes. to stabilize that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely true. Well, that's, wow, that's a great a one. That's, that's a great little psychic shield. But my inner child is very creative. Like I said, she's very sensitive. And um, she's easily hurt. She's easily slighted. And I think that's uh, sort of historic for me in my life. You know, I'm the youngest child in my family. And by the time I came around, you know, I was just 
and this is just so funny even thinking of it because I'm such a strong-willed person and so self-directed, you know, that I was just expected to just go along with what everybody else wanted. And, you know, my thoughts, my feelings were just kind of glossed over and dismissed. And, uh, you know, it just hurt my feelings over and over and over again. But I do think what it did was sort of forge the strength within me to say, you know, this this is not okay to be made to feel this way. And so that's why I believe I've become like an advocate um, in many ways for the underdog, you know, the, the one the who's voiceless, the, yeah. voiceless, the ones who are silenced and the ones who are dismissed and looked over and deemed unimportant. Like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you remember that movie? Um, oh, I will not be ignored, you know, um, fatal attraction <laughs> where she says to him oh i will not be ignored and it's like mm -hmm, i hear you sister i know yeah. i will not be ignored <laughs> nor know? should we be nor should we no be. nor should we be no I, I mean really like i said when you look at what's going on in the world this huge divide how I mean, I hate to even jump in here, but just for an example, how a global health crisis became political football. You know, this is all that kind of power over construct. And it's, it's, look what it's done. It's, it's, it's terrible. Scary. It's scary. It is scary. It is the actual, I believe, gritting. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about gritting and I live in LA, so you know, when you're on the 405 freeway on a Saturday and all of a sudden you reach this one point, it's just deadlock. <laughs> and you're like, wait, why? What's the problem? What's going down here, right? And a few minutes later you get through it and there was it's absolutely wide open. That's that mental capacity to, to literally or to actually grid something, a conscious yeah. grid. The same thought, same behavior day in and day out day in and day out day, forever however long that is that has literally created a cloud of what wtf right uh, and we yeah. when we buy into that we we get enveloped in that we and we are and unless we stay conscious we just continue to participate in it yeah and for me i have we to think this is the way it has to be yeah as, as an extraordinarily sensitive human my whole life as well and everything you said, I, I bow in reverence and honor because I too am that, you know, I'm easily, um, wounded. Yeah. I'm, I'm a wounded warrior for the light sometimes, you know, and, and in there I've had, I don't have to do anything. That's a word I'm not kind with, meaning like, mm, I prefer not to use that one. So I'll retract that. What I would like to identify here is what I get to do is not make me bad or wrong. Right. I don't right. have to do that. I choose to do that, right? Right. To not make me wrong for being sensitive because I think our sensitivity is our medicine. I think I it's think the way so we too. are called to, to heal people and help people and generosity and kindness can restore the masses. Absolutely. So when you've got to grid that of what you references as, you know, I, I don't even want to call it into existence. And you, you buy into that. We've gridded, yeah. we've gridded a mentality. Yeah. You know, everywhere you look, everywhere you see, whether it's computer or otherwise, it's there. It's in your face. It's gritting you. Yes. So unless yeah. you put that down and get right with, you know, your holy creator, however that may play for each individual, I'm not trying to name it or claim it for anyone, and get with Mother Earth, put your feet in her, lay with her, be reverent with her, talk with her, play with her, you know, feed her, water her, acknowledge her, 
You're going to go to I'm that nodding room. as you say all this. Oh, no, I'm nodding. Yes, so yes, 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 yes. <laughs> And, you know, none of those things that you mentioned, the generosity, the healing, the kindness, you know, they're not valued in a patriarchy. What's valued in a patriarchy is acquisition and winning and accomplishment and achievement. And, you know, though there's a place for all of those wonderful things, but at the expense of the other side of it, we are now. Yeah, that part. Absolutely, yeah. that part. So you said earlier that you knew as a young girl that you had like a calling of some sort. There was an intuitive knowing that there was something coming for you. Yeah. Do you recall yeah. what that that sound was? What that? Well, it was. It, uh, I'm this, this. I'm not gonna worry about what it sounds like. I mean, I was in deep relationship with nature. I was in deep relationship with the fae. Um, I had visitations from the Fae and the fairies, and I knew that there was a reality that went beyond our dense third dimension. I felt tapped into it. Um, when I was 12 years old, my aunt, who died on her 50th birthday, came to me in a dream and spoke to me, asked me to apologize to my mother for something that happened between them long before I was born that I knew nothing about. And when I came down to the kitchen sobbing a dream and my parents looked at me like, what's wrong? And I told them, he said, blah, 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 blah. They both looked at me like, you know, what? Like, how did, what? How did you know that? And it frightened me. So there was kind of an awakening in two different ways in that moment. One is, I'm right. You can, I mean, not, not that being right is everything, but uh, you know, it validated that there is a reality beyond just what we can touch and feel it, right? It validated that because there was no way I could have this information. And yet I got it from the dream when I got it from this visitation. But at the same time, it also frightened me out of my wits because I didn't know anybody else who had these experiences. There was no one else in my family who had any sort of psychic experience or at least who spoke of it. I had no guidance about it. I just thought, uh-oh, you know, you better, <laughs> you better keep this under the under wraps or they're gonna come and take you away. So yes. I kind of hid it for the longest time. And um, I think I was like 14 or 15 the first time I got my first tarot deck, you know? So I was always involved in the mysteries. I kind of kept it on the bottom of my closet floor. Nobody knew yeah. it and that thing, you know? Um, but it really wasn't until I was going through my Saturn return. I don't know if you're into astrology, I bet you are. Absolutely. Um, I own yeah. a physical shop. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So it was when I was going through my Saturn return that this huge transformation took place. And I shed all those old skins and just decided I am what I am and I can't deny it any longer. And we'll see where this leads me. And if it doesn't lead me anywhere good, then I'll, you know, revamp and figure out what's next. But this is where you are. So far, so good. I'm so going to be so successful. good. Yes, it's so glorious. It really is to have like the head pop out is such a breath, <laughs> such a breath. So a couple <clears> things <throat> were bubbling up for people who don't know what a fae is. I'd like you to demonstrate that, but also um, I would like to speak to that, you know, being from Topanga, I can remember we used to have these waterfalls in the swimming hole. And then years, years ago, 
the gas company moved into that lot and we were not allowed to swim there anymore. And by universal design, 2012, pay attention, right? When everything started to demantle, dismantle. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The company had to leave the rights, the, the, the owners no longer wanted them on there, whatever their contract was up, whatever that did. And then it reopened, right? And now it's a beautiful place. And the guy is, who's been born and raised, Topanga, has gotten in there and he owns a business and he's brought brought it back. And we all get to go meditate there and this beautiful waterfall that's just barely trickling, but now it's starting to flow again because of all the love and healing we're bringing there. And wow. all he's doing. So I was there with Gypsy Rose, my puppy, who I just miss with all my heart, but shows me herself daily. Please know that. I just miss her smell and her density. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. So we're there and she's doing her little magical tour because she loves it up there too. And I took a picture, or at least I thought I was taking a picture of her. So I was like, take this picture. I turned around, I took the picture and go back later and I'm looking through it. And there in my own, and I still have it, by the way. I almost wish I'd known we were going to talk about this. I hadn't shown it to you. Um, is a leprechaun or what I would call a fae, male energy though, right? And he had this little suit on and there he was, just showing, just smiling at me. I have like to see that picture. Hey, for sure. It's you have so to see good. It. It's so you, you have to know. You have to. Be, I think you have to be a seer to see it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, or I could point it out and then you see it. But I don't like doing that. I like just see it if you see it. Right. It's meant for you. It's not. And so that's exciting. So for people who don't know what a fae is, please, if you don't mind, just well, we know them as the fairy folk or yes. the wee ones or the shining. Yeah. Right. There's lots of names for the Fae and <clears throat> the element, they're elemental. And also they're part of the uh, plant devas of the world. So they're like the spirits of the plants Absolutely. and um, they take form um, as fairies. And I grew up in uh, upstate New York and there was a grove of trees between my house and my aunt's house. And I remember when I was like a little kid, like maybe three years old or four years old, I used to go into that grove and meet with the fairies and we'd have conversations. And and it was as real as you and I are talking right here, right now, Jeanette Marie. It was unbelievable. And um, yeah, so, yeah, and now I'm not having I have a huge garden outside my house here in Seattle, Washington, and I'm still out there playing with the Fae. Uh, they're, they're in my garden. <laughs> We're still connected to each other. It, it's magnificent. It is And magnificent. I feel like I'm at home there with them, you know. Yeah. My soul yeah. is a... I totally get it. You know, it's so fun, like a lot of the New Age community, <clears throat> which I'm super excited about. I'm not mad at them at all right? They're starting to go, oh, we hug trees. I'm like, and my, my ego says, but do you commune with it? <laughs> do you know what it's saying? Yes. Yeah. You, baby. Every time the breeze hits you, please take reverence, <laughs> take moment. You know, it's so fun to watch them come up and grow in it, right? Yes, yes. It really is. So if I may ask you to tell us how you became a reverend and then into your goddess your yes so your you know the goddess kind of came to me or i found her i'm not sure which it all happened at the same time when i was in my 20s and again that was the kind of thing that i kind of knew you know what i i i can't deal with this right now it was kind of like oh no now after all of this you know being so other than everybody i know for so long 
now divinity itself is going to show me as a female. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, they're going to run me. I'm so out ready for this. Yes, go. Yeah. So I mean, I was excited by it, but also like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like I said, it wasn't until like I was about 28 and starting to go through my Saturn return uh, that all of that came about. When I moved to Seattle, which is when I was 30 years old, smack dab in my middle of my Saturn return, I left New York, I left show business, I quit smoking, like all as part of the same transformation and um, landed here. And then in the transition of trying to figure out okay, I'm not doing that, but I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, I started working at different psychic fairs. And uh, there was a wonderful psychic fair here for years that I worked uh, one Saturday a month. And I met a lot of wonderful people there, of course. They were like, there were others like me, it's my tribe, here they are. And one of the gentlemen that I met there told me that there was going to be an ordination um, through an organization called SHEES, which is an acronym for Spiritual Healers and Earth Stewards. And this was an organization that was founded back in the 70s by a group of people who felt called to spiritual service, but didn't feel aligned or any allegiance to any organized religion. So they formed this organization in order to give themselves their own spiritual power. And that was a huge part of what was happening in the 70s too, right? You yes, know, there absolutely. Was sexual revolution in the 60s and sort it was of this a surge of, of you huge know, surge. things yes yes and um and as soon as he told me that that was going to be happening i knew that i had to go and become ordained because i felt called to spiritual service but i didn't know how that was going to somehow be sort of ritually acknowledged because there was only world religions around that i didn't resonate with um, so on the summer solstice in 1992, I was ordained in the Rose Garden of Woodland Park here in Seattle, wow. about, you know, maybe 15 or 20 other people. And I don't know if you know the Native American elder Sun Bear. Yes. Um, he died that morning. He died on the summer solstice. And the woman who was, you know, part of his tribe and part of his community, um, arrived who was she was the one who ordained all of us and she arrived a little bit late because he had just died and so it was like this how do i say it was almost like a portal open between the worlds with that information anyway and then the ordination was just beautiful so that's kind of how that happened and that's how i got the title reverend and I decided to really claim it and start using it. Because, uh, and not so much that the whole world would know me that way, but for me to know me that way, that Ooh, I had yeah. chosen to dedicate my life in spiritual service to others. And uh, so that was in 1992. And then in 2000, um, early in 2000, I got uh, into my own office. I had been sharing an office with another woman. So I, then I worked these odd jobs, regular jobs, you know, and the idea was to work at those jobs less and less while I worked for myself more and more. I was giving readings all the time now. And, uh, but then eventually it got to here, there was no more time in the day. And I just knew it was time to take the leap of faith. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And if, I find that I can't support myself, then I'll go get a job, but I'm never, I'll never be readier than right now to do it. 
So I did. I took the leap. And a friend of mine who was also a psychic had an office and we shared the office together for a while. And then she had to give up the office and I got my own. And um, I'm still in that office now, 21 years later, actually this may be 22 years later. And when I moved into the office, I decided I was going to throw a big office warming party. And then it was like the goddess whispered in my ear. And I, it was like, on Sunday mornings everywhere, people are gathering with others of a like mind in worship to what they consider the divine. And unless you are already in a circle or a coven or a group of women or women and men who get together on some sort of a magical faith path, there is nowhere for those people to go. Huh. And so I just decided I'm going to throw, I'm going to offer a goddess worship service. And 12 people came to that first one. And when it was over, one of them said to me, when's the next one? And I said, next month. And I have been offering them every month ever since, 21 years later. And the crazy thing about this, Jeanette Marie, is that as, as I've mentioned, I'm a very, you know, sort of directed person. I've got a very strong will. I have a strong mind. I, I figure out what I want. And I go for it, you know, like, you know. No, no, no hesitation. Sometimes I wish I had hesitated along the way, but I mostly just kind of go for it. If you had told me that this was going to become what I did, that I was going to become like a minister offering worship services, I would have told you you're out of your mind. It was not something <laughs> I ever planned for or decided. It was just this thing that sort of happened and I just kept following it. And so now here we are. In 2004, we became a nonprofit organization so that people Bravo. who donate get a tax deduction, you know, on their donations. And there's this beautiful community now that has grown in Gaia's temple. And this year, we're going to be 22 years old. I was 41 when I started that. It's kind of wacky, wacky good, but kind of wacky. Phenomenal is what that is. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And I knew when yeah. I started this that I didn't want it to be for women only. Mm. Because while I do have women only circles here and there, and you know, in some of my offerings, um, I knew that this ministry needed to be for everyone, everyone and anyone. Because I don't think that I think the men need to learn and know about the goddess big time. I mean, because how else are we going to heal that? That's right. How not else only are we going to heal that? We we're not going to get very far without our men. No, I mean, we know we're how to do it. We don't. Far. Exactly. I mean, we can keep building the circle, keep building the circle, and then sit around and say, oh, but this is happening, that's happening. Well, if you're not including them, right? what are you doing? How are they going to learn anything different? different? How are yeah. they going to learn anything different? And they want yeah. to. I find that a lot of men are really enjoying. Yes. In the circle. And I too, you know, roll circles and I have sacred feminine and then I have just circles. That's right. right. And what I say to those men or what I say so often about the patriarchy is you must be very tired by now, you know. And they are. <laughs> Having to be Everyone in control is. of everything. It must be exhausting. Let us step up and help you out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What a gift to bring back to the world. Yes. 
to the world. Yes. Because where you help one person sit, deliberate, activate their shadow selves, the stuff that's hurting them, harming them, you know, the Kool-Aid, if I may again, that they drank and the way they've been living that that does not add pleasure or peace or generosity in their heart. You know, if you're not helping that, you're a part of the problem. Yep. You know, that is right. I'm about that solution. <laughs> Well, at least I, I try to activate that daily, you know? Yeah, yeah. So can we tell the story that you told at? Yes, yes. So um, I'd love to hear about your book. because I believe it's in your book, correct? Uh, well, the book, uh, Long the Wheel of Time, that's already been published, is a collection of short stories <clears throat> that accompany the points on the wheel of the year as we go through the solstices and the equinoxes and the cross-quarter days. So they're fictional stories about ordinary people or extraordinary people like you and I, um, who are just sort of living their magical life. So that book is not necessarily about the workshop that you took at God of Spirit Rising with me, which I called Letting Ourselves Off the Hook. Wow. And I, yeah. And I'm that doing the happy is, dance, people. I'm doing the happy dance. Yes. You are. She's doing the happy dance. <laughs> and that is the story of the ancient goddess, uh, Sumerian goddess Inanna, yeah. and her dark sister, Ereshkigal, who lives in the underworld. And Inanna is the queen of Sumer. And, <clears throat> excuse me, she's quite powerful and quite beautiful. And there's a magnificent part of the beginning of the story about how she gets her powers from the elemental gods and then how she comes of age and becomes a woman and falls in love with Demutsi. And it's one of the most erotic, magnificent love stories ever written. And if you get a chance, you should write, uh, you should read it. And, you know, here because I never have it very far from me. It sits with my favorite book collection. But the book Inanna, Queen of Heaven and Earth uh, by Diane Wolkstein and Samuel Noah Kramer is uh, a magnificent translation from that ancient cuneiform tablets that the stories were found on. It is said that it's like the oldest written story that has ever been found on our planet. It goes back like 6,000 years. Anyway, it's a magnificent tale. She falls in love with Demutsi and they have this magnificent, they, they fall in love and it's erotic and gorgeous and beautiful. And then Inanna turns her ear to the great below. Like she hears a calling to go deep and she hears a calling, which we can look at as a metaphor, as a calling to look deeply within. And she tells her sort of right hand woman, her best friend, she's going to visit her sister in the underworld because her sister has just become a widow. Her husband has died and she's going there to console her sister and to go to the funeral rites. And she tells her that if I'm not back in three days, go and beat the drum in the, in the, you know, in the town and go to the gods and, and, you know, kick up a ruckus and make sure that somebody comes down to get me. And she goes to the, entrance the portal of the underworld and she meets the guard there and she say, he says what are you doing here and she says i've come to see my sister in the underworld and he says why are you coming to a place that no mortal ever returns from 
And she says, I am the queen of heaven and earth, and you shall do as I say and let me enter. And he says, well, hold on a minute. And he goes down to a rescue bill in the deep dark uh, and says, your sister is here. And she says, my sister is here. <laughs> and she says, okay, well, let her in, but let her through the seven gates down to where I am. But at each gate, she is to be stripped of part of her finery. And only if she gives up part of her finery is she allowed to go to the next portal until she comes down. And sure enough, that's what happens. Inanna steps in and the guard takes off her crown. She says, what is this? And he says, quiet, Inanna. The ways of the underworld are not to be questioned. If you want to continue, you must give up your crown. And bit by bit, she gives up her scepter and her shield and her until she comes to the underworld naked and bowed low. And there is Ereshkigal, her sister, sitting on the throne in the underworld. And Ereshkigal looks at her and she casts the eye of death upon her. And Inanna dies. She takes Inanna's body and she hangs it on a hook on the wall. And she leaves her there to rot. This is a very disturbing tale. And at this point, I remember reading it or learning about it and going, jeez, oh, wow. You know, here's her sister coming to the underworld, which is not pretty and not fun and not filled with light. It's the underworld, right? It's the place of death. And she's going there to console her sister. And what happens? Her sister kills her. Not very nice, you know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> three days go by. She doesn't return. Her woman does all the things. She bangs the drums in the streets and she goes to the gods and all, almost all the gods say, I'm sorry. You know, she knew going to the underworld that nobody returns from there. I can't help her. And finally, she goes to the god Anki, who was the one who gave Inanna her powers to begin with. And he takes some dirt from under his fingernails and he fashions two little creatures like flies who go flying down to the underworld. And they, uh, when they arrive, Inanna, I'm sorry, Ereshkigal is moaning in pain. Some say giving birth on the throne. And she goes, oh, I'm in pain. And they go, oh, you're in pain. And she says, oh, my back. And they say, oh, your back. And no matter what she complains about, they offer compassion. Until finally she goes, who are you? And they say, we are, we are just creatures who are here to, to, to love you. And she says, well, you are, you are helping me. And they say, yes. And she says, well, is there something that you want in return? And they say, we only want the corpse that hangs on the wall. And she says, that's the corpse of Inanna. And they say, that is all we want. And so she grants it to them. And they fly to Inanna. And they are the food of life and the water of life. And Inanna revives and comes back up in the underground. And there's more to the story than I can possibly tell here, um, but that's the essential uh, story about Inanna's descent and ascent. So what I love about these ancient stories, Jeanette Marie, is that we can look at them metaphorically, of course, and we can look at them in the soul's journey, the dark night of the soul. That part. And what I taught in this workshop 
is that, you know, Inanna and Ereshkigal are sisters. And so we can look at these two as the sort of Jungian archetypes of, you know, what's above the surface and what is shown to the world is beautiful and powerful and wonderful as Inanna. But then there's always that part of us that's down there in the shadow, that's in pain, and that is unseen, and that is not satisfied. And, you know, when we talk about shadow, especially from psychological terms, the shadow is always the place that is hidden or where we put parts of ourselves that we don't think are nice enough to be seen. Our greed, our jealousy, our anger, you know, just all the yicky emotions and all the things about ourselves that we wouldn't be proud of. That's what we put down there in the shadow. But by going to meet that shadow and offering compassion to the one who is suffering there in the dark, we find wholeness and we revive and our lives are enriched by knowing what is there in that deep shadow and from healing it. So that was essentially the the lesson there. And then what, so I called the workshop, letting yourself off the hook, because that's what we do. We put ourselves on the hook um, and we get stuck in places, <clears throat> excuse me, we get stuck in places where we are not happy, where we are not whole, where we have been injured or wounded and we stay stuck in those places, or guilt, or remorse, or regret, or we've, or we've made a mistake and we don't know how to rectify it, or we wish we could go back and change it, you know? And then we sort of get like stuck there, like we put ourselves on the hook and we stay there in our psyche. And this story demonstrates how compassion and being willing to go to those dark places that are not fun and are not pretty and are not happy, but are so necessary for our healing can help us get off the hook so we can move forward. And we can look at that as pers our personal growth, but we can also look at it as something that we need in our culture as well. Reconciliation processes so that we can heal and move forward instead of just spinning our wheels, you know, with the war machine, I'm gonna kill you, then you're gonna kill me, then I'm gonna kill your children, then their children are gonna kill my children. And it just goes generation after generation. Whereas now we're seeing reconciliation circles where people are acknowledging each other's pain and we're trying to shift the idea of vengeance into truce. And compassion. And compassion. It's only through compassion that it can happen. Absolutely. We have Absolutely. to see humanity in the other person and recognize yeah. and have compassion for it. You know, and if you're not able to stand in that, don't find somebody who is, right? I think it's important when we bear witness that we are able to, as Brene Brown says, if somebody's in the rabbit hole and you don't know how to get out of the rabbit hole, don't go down the rabbit hole, right? And and I just want to make a quick loopity loop. Yeah funny but not funny yet historical and henceforth that's where we get letting yourself off the hook i caught that by the way thank you right letting ourselves off the hook quit killing ourselves in the in the drowning of you know whatever karmic tie from each lifetime past right. present all four corners of the world at all times coming into this now to be healed 
and allowing for that moment to take its place is such a beautiful, beautiful demonstration. Thank you for that. Welcome. You're welcome. It's such a magnificent story. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget. I left there like yeah. jacked up. It like, kind of blows your mind. This story. Well, and because there's so much more that you gave then, and obviously you can't do that now. And it, it was enough. It's plenty. It's delicious. The point, the message, the purpose is to to do what you've just identified. And there's no greater gift one can give to self. You know, and I love the idea that when we're able to do that, we're really able to transform others. Like there's not one yes. master that you can hear, talk about, read about, experience on whatever level that may be for the individual that has not walked through the shadows of death. Exactly, exactly. And the other part of that is that, you know, we we get so righteous, like we have an opinion about something or we have a point of view and then we get very righteous about it, which means that I'm right and you're wrong. Right. It just it becomes very, very black and white that way. But if we do our own shadow work, then we befriend the parts of us that are less than savory and beautiful. And we become acutely aware of our own humanity. And then we recognize that everybody is part of that humanity. They have their too. And so by developing compassion for that, we can see even our opponents as human beings that we can have compassion for, even when we don't agree with their point of view or their actions. Right, we no longer call them opponents, actually. We just see a soul's journey still stuck in that shadow. That's right. I'm learning to, to grab a hold of anyways. What a beautiful, delicious gift you offer is. all of us. Oh, thank, thank you. you, thank you, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. So what would you say if I said, I would like to ask you to have a couple numbers to pick out and I could ask you a couple of questions. Sure. You would say yes. Okay. Sure. Um, I would really like to do that. It's between one and 32. What number? 17. Everybody likes 17. It's so fascinating. Really? Me. Yeah. And like, wow, fascinating. That's no, let's do it. It's fine. I think it's fascinating that that number constantly gets picked. Um, how do you keep from being jaded? I stay as inspired as I possibly can. How? I keep, I keep seeking beauty and inspiration. And that comes in my garden. It comes in music that I listen to. It comes in the books that I read. I just try to keep learning and to keep, like, I know what I like. I love music. I love plants. I love the earth. I love, well, I'm never better than when my hands are in the dirt. Um, this keeps me from getting jaded. Mm, another number? 19. If you really knew me, you would know what? If I really knew you? Know you. <laughs> oh, if I really knew myself. Yeah. If you really knew the me, you, you would know what about me? I guess I should rewrite that. Mm -hmm. If I really knew me, then I would know. If I really knew you. Oh, if you really knew me. Then would you would know, know, then you would know that I wouldn't knowingly hurt a fly. Mm. I think I know that about you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and one more. Yes. Yeah, sorry. let's go to 32. Let's do that one. What is your inner standing? 
not the understanding, your inner standing, your constitution. I, you know, I, I don't know if I can just truncate it down to one thing, but if I had to, I would say that my inner standing is the goddess is alive and magic is afoot. I love that. And who is your goddess that came to you initially? I'm a daughter of Hecate. Hecate. So for the folks who don't know who Hecate is, which is no joke, and yet, hi. She's a crone goddess a group from the Greek pantheon. She's the crone goddess as she stands at the crossroads. And she is known, uh, well, she stands as a cross, at the crossroads as a metaphor of who you would seek guidance from whenever you come to a, a decision or some sort of metaphoric crossroads in your life. Um, but what I, excuse me, what I love so much about Hecate is that she's a truth teller and you can always go to her for the truth but what i also love is that she doesn't have to beat you up with the truth there's nothing um abusive about it there's no humiliation with regard to it you can just trust that she is going to tell you the truth and even when the truth is not what you want to hear there is something soothing about knowing the truth Oh, it's so oh. true. It's so true. It's so, I say it's so, so true. true. The truth is true. Yeah. But I love all the dark goddesses. I love Lilith and I love Inanna. I love, I love all the dark goddesses who are willing to go to the places that aren't just light and sweet and syrupy and, and wonderful. Um, because I think that there's rich material in the darkness. And, you know, that's also part of what has happened with women you know, and why we have been diabolized and so compressed and suppressed and, and you know, over, overtaken um, because we're comfortable in the dark, we're comfortable at night, we're comfortable, you know, all life begins in the dark. It doesn't happen in the sun. It starts underground where that's our realm. We're familiar with it and we're comfortable with it. And then with the rise of patriarchal religions, you know, the dark became you know, our beautiful underworld, which is the place where we go for our souls to rest before they reincarnate, then became hell in the realm of the devil and where we suffer forever. And yeah. that fear mongering is, you know, how you keep people under your thumb. It's but. true. It's sad, but true. You want to tell people about a couple of goddesses like Lilith, since you brought her in. Oh, Lilith. Oh, beautiful Lilith. So Lilith, uh, is known to be, a, well, she's not very well known, um, but her story is quite extraordinary because Lilith is, was actually the first woman. And it is said that she and Adam were created together at the same time mm -hmm. and that they lived blissfully in Eden as lovers until one day God came in and had them, uh, told them to start naming things so that things could be known. And so they went about naming things. And no matter what Lilith said, she was gonna name this. Adam said, no, that's not the name. And no matter what Adam said, this was called, she said, no, we don't wanna call it that. And so they had their first fight, trouble in paradise. And um, <laughs> it got to the point where Lilith knew that Adam was just not going to relent. 
and the spite escalated to the point where Adam started to say that he was superior to her, obviously by her poor choices of what to call things, and that because he was superior, then he was going to be on top from here on out whenever they had sex. And she said, well, sweetheart, you know, I, I certainly like it when you're on top, but that's not the only way it's going to go, you know, which is kind of a metaphor of saying, you're not going to overpower me. And sex is something that both of us participate in equally. And it's not about power dynamics, but he refused and said, you will lie beneath me. And she knew that she couldn't, she knew that she couldn't believe that, accept that and participate in being subordinate. So she spoke the ineffable name of God, which is the secret name of God. And she sprouted wings, which also says that she was a little bit more supernatural. And she flew out of Eden and went to the shores of the Red Sea. And there's a whole thing that takes place there that we don't have time to talk about now. But anyway, then Adam finds that he's very lonely. And so he says, God, my woman has left me and now I'm lonely. You have to do something about it. And God said, okay. And he knocked him out, took a rib. He created Eve from Adam's rib. And he took the rib bone from his side so that that's where Eve would stay. And then Eve came to be his wife. And God told them they are not to eat from the fruit of wisdom and the tree. Anyway, so... Lilith, meanwhile, meanwhile, Lilith's on the shores of the Red Sea, and she also misses Adam because she loves him. She loved him. And so she decides she's going to go back and see what's going on over there. And so she comes back to the edge of Eden, and she shapeshifts into a serpent, the serpent of wisdom. And she climbs up the tree of knowledge, and she looks over the wall, and she sees Eve there. And Eve's kind of like staring, just kind of blank with no life force, no, you know, just completely subordinate. And she goes, Eve, Eve, wake up. See where you are here. Eat mm -hmm. this fruit. This fruit will give you the wisdom that you need to stand in your power. This is a whole different way of looking at that in initial story. So Lilith has come to be a goddess archetype that women uh, work with and pray to and form relationship with. Kundalini, Kundalini. Kundalini energy for their sexual power, for equality in dynamics. Uh, you know, I think Hecate, Inanna, and Lilith are probably up there as my my three, my three, my three girls. They're, they're women who have <laughs> empowered themselves. I don't think yeah. I've ever met a goddess I didn't like, you know. I love them all, and I think they're wonderful. Right. And each goddess has her own gifts and her own qualities that I think learning about and, you know, getting in touch with is good medicine. And relevant. Just Not just for women, but for men, too. Yeah, and relevant. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely could not agree more. Well, what oh. a gift you are. I'm going to ask you one question here. Absolutely. Uh, since one came in when I said it, or you said it, and then I mirrored back to you, rather. Yeah. What is your greatest victory? Quitting smoking. <laughs> I'm telling you, to this day, I still think it's the greatest thing I ever did. Ooh, I was a, I was mercy, a, my goddess. Yeah, I used to smoke a lot, an awful lot of cigarettes in my youth, and I was highly addicted, and I quit. 
And I went and when I quit and I quit cold turkey and I have never put another cigarette to my lips. And to me, it's still the greatest achievement I have ever done. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you know, breaking an addiction is breaking an addiction is not an easy thing to do. So yeah. yeah. Henceforth the word addiction, right? So okay. thank you for coming on. If there's anything else you want to say in parting, I, this is your time and then we will call it. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you though. So great. That's all you. that's all that I would say to finish this up. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast, Jeanette Marie. I really appreciate it. And I I'm very grateful for the opportunity to just expound on the things that matter to me. We don't often get that opportunity. And I'm very, very grateful to you. So thank you so much. May you be blessed throughout your day. Continue to shine. You too. Right. <laughs> thank you. Bye, baby. Bye.